Please listen carefully. Okay, let's get started. Um, so hi, everybody. Welcome. Uh, my name is Chris Puentes. I own Kana Fitness in Ambler, PA, as most of you that I'm seeing the names of already know. Uh, I'm joined here with certified nutritionist Kathleen Jones. Um, Kathleen is going to talk about some uh, habit myths. I don't want to give too, many, too much away, but she's going to talk for a little bit, um, and then we're going to open it up for questions uh, as it relates to anything that she talked about or any general nutrition questions that you may have. So if you already have questions that you know you want to ask, go ahead and throw it in the comment section if you're joining us on Facebook. Uh, or if you're on Zoom, then go ahead and throw it in the chat section on Zoom. Um, and I will moderate those questions from there, okay? Um, Kathleen, go ahead and uh, give yourself uh, an introduction and um, you can even take it away from there. All right, thanks, Chris. Um, my name's Kathleen. I'm a licensed dietitian nutritionist in the state of Pennsylvania and I work and live in Allentown. Um, I joined Kana last summer, fall, uh, and right now I'm doing nutrition coaching and we already held one event, which was the fall reset in October. So this is our second, uh, kickstart event, uh, that we'll be doing in a couple weeks and we'll discuss that later on tonight. Um, but right now I'm available to work one-on-one -on -one with, uh, members, uh, for nutrition coaching, and then also leading <clears throat> these Kickstart events as well. Um, so tonight, I want to talk a little bit about common uh, misconceptions about habits. It being a new year, everyone gets very uh, gung-ho about new, new year, new them, starting uh, new healthy habits. But a lot of people aren't really sure how to do that, or they go about doing it the wrong way. And then after a couple weeks, usually by February, people have kind of given up on the things that they were super excited about a few weeks ago. Um, so this event uh, that's starting in a few weeks is perfect timing because it's happening right as some people are starting to really struggle with the things that they wanted to uh, really implement into their lives. So we're gonna show um, through this Kickstarter how to build healthy habits. Um, and it's gonna help a lot of people who are struggling and um, aren't sure exactly how to go about that. So some of the ways that people struggle is that there's so much misinformation out there about how to build healthy habits. And those are just misconceptions, but people rely on them to get themselves going. Um, the first one I wanna talk about this evening is uh, just do it. So that's like, you know, Nike's phrase, and it's something that we tell ourselves and we tell other people, just do it. And what that implies is that habit is built by sheer willpower. Um, and willpower can help you to do something once, maybe twice, maybe a few times. It can get you to muster the strength to do something on occasion, but it does not allow you to build um, healthy habits. Willpower, you can think of it more as like a battery. And there's very rare instances when a battery is fully charged, when your cell phone just comes off the charger in the morning. But as the day goes on, the battery starts to dwindle. And it's the same thing with willpower. 
So it's not what we can rely on day in and day out to go about building healthy habits. It's just not enough to do the job. Um, you need other external energy sources to get you there. Um, so telling yourself just do it implies that you don't have enough willpower if you don't do it, um, which is true. We don't have enough willpower. So uh, it's not something that you can rely on for building a healthy habit. Um, on that same note, another thing that we tell ourselves is, oh, we just don't have enough self-control to keep us from doing the negative habits that we wish to replace. So whether that's, um, you know, just sitting on the couch in the evening um, or eating sweets or whatever it is, we say, oh, I just don't have enough self-control. I can't help myself. Um, but there is a misconception about that as well. So it's more or less having to do with how you perceive the world, how you perceive things. So there's this analogy that I like to give. Most of us can relate to it. Think of two different customers who walk into a Target store. Now maybe think back to like 2019, two different customers walk into a Target store. Because most of us aren't spending a ton of time walking around, picking everything up and killing time in there now. But we used to. So think of two different customers. One customer goes in and they have a specific item that they want to buy and they come out with only that item, which is mind boggling to the other customer who goes in, maybe they had a specific item in mind, but they come out with many other additional items and they tell themselves, oh, I just don't have enough self-control. It's not really a control issue, it's a perspective issue. So what studies have found, and they actually, I'm using Target as an example, but they actually did do this studying people in stores with shopping habits. And the people who go in to buy one thing and leave with one thing have a mindset that nothing else in the store is there for them. The only thing that's there for them is that one thing. That's the only thing that exists to them in that store. Nothing else is on their radar. Um, that's their item and nothing else is theirs. But the other person has a perspective that everything in the store is a possibility for them. And so they become uh, consumed with wanting to figure out, you know, which things to take home with them. So there's two different perspectives. The one is, you know, it's a free for all and anything can potentially be yours. And the other person has the idea of um, these things aren't here for me. They're here for other people except for this one item. Um, so the same thing applies with food. So it's not really a self-control issue. It's your perspective around food when you go into the grocery store. Is everything in the store potentially there for you to buy or are only certain items there for you to buy? Um, and then those items come into your home and, and that's what you have to choose from when you're looking for a snack or looking to make a meal. Um, maybe you live with someone who brings other items into the home that you didn't want there you can still have the mindset that those aren't your items. They're not there for you. Um, so it really doesn't have to do about self-control. It's all about how you perceive your surroundings. Um, so that's a super important concept to think of when you think of habits. Because if you tell yourself that you need willpower or you just don't have enough self-control, you're really setting yourself up for failure because those are not the right ways to view these um, these situations. 
Another thing that we hear, and I can't even tell you the different numbers that I've heard. There's so many different numbers, but it's about repetition. And they say you have to do a habit for X amount of days or weeks or X amount of times. And then it all of a sudden like solidifies into your life and becomes a habit. That's also not true. Um, repetition can help build a habit, but it's not it does not build a habit. There's so many other things that factor in before that is even a factor. So the environment, your perspective, um, if you've given yourself incentives for this habit um, and other things that we're gonna talk about in great detail uh, in the four week uh, Kickstarter would be cues. So what in, gives you a cue in your environment to complete a task um, the rewards for doing that, uh, short-term rewards and long-term rewards, um, things called habit stacking. So taking existing habits that you already have and integrating new habits into them uh, and other things that we like to call like friction. So things that make it easier to perform a habit or more difficult to perform habits that we don't want to continue. Um, those are all so much more important than repetition. So if you're not paying attention to those things, you don't know about those things, you don't know how to hack your environment um, or habit stack or uh, move the scale of friction for different things, repeating it over and over again is really not going to work because um, that is just such a small, tiny portion of what goes into building a habit. So these are all things that we're going to discuss in detail in the four-week Kickstarter. Um, we can literally spend like an entire week working on just friction and taking different habits in our lives that we don't want and increasing friction and then decreasing friction for things that we want to incorporate. Um, so this is really- Kathleen, can you, give, can you give an example of that? Because we just sent out an email about that, um, but I think that that, um, applies a lot to people's lives. So sure. can you give an example of either increasing or decreasing friction? Sure. Well, we're going to be doing the, uh, the Kickstarter on nutrition, but I'll give an example for fitness since a lot of people here are already part of the fitness community and maybe more uh, used to friction in that arena. So for instance, if someone's trying to start a fitness routine or get themselves to Kana, right, to exercise for a class, there's a lot of ways that you can decrease the friction for that happening. So you can keep a bag in your car with workout clothes and shoes in it. Um, you can think ahead and pack a snack so that you're not driving home from work and going, oh, I'm too hungry. I'm going to skip class. Yeah. I really need to eat. Um, you can put, uh, if you're going to do a home workout in the evening, you can set up your workout stuff so that when you wake up, there's the cue of seeing everything laid out and then the friction has been decreased from having to get out all your workout gear to perform that workout. Um, so those are just some small examples on decreasing friction. And then uh, the counterbalance for that would be if you wanted to increase friction um, for negative habits, I guess you could say. Uh, so if you did have something in the home that you didn't want to be snacking on per se, it was maybe a partner's food that you didn't want to have there. Um, instead of keeping it on the counter, you can keep it maybe in a cupboard that you don't typically go in. 
and then you're not having that visual cue of seeing it. So that adds friction um, into instead of just reaching on the counter and you know grabbing some candies out of a dish, you have to open the cabinet and go in, and they're in the you know a box in there, and then it just becomes more complicated. Um, so whatever is the easiest is what we typically do. Uh, so we try and make the, uh, the good things that we want to do easier and the things that we don't want to do more difficult to perform. Um, so those are some examples for friction specifically. Um, let's see what else. So I do have a couple tips uh, for habits that I can give out today. Um, this isn't anything close to what we'll be going over in the four weeks because we're kind of kind of like build out a plan for ourselves. Um, but if you're already trying some different things this year and you're having some trouble, this could kind of maybe help you pinpoint where those troubles are. Uh, so the first one I like to recommend is plan for failure. So most people tend to just plan for success, that they wake up and get out of bed when their alarm goes off and that they got all their ingredients on the weekend and they've cooked and meal prepped on Sunday for the week. But we all know that life doesn't work that way. <laughs> Sometimes we don't get up when the alarm goes off or we don't get to the store or we don't meal prep. So having alternative plan, um, alternative habits set up for when those things don't go right. Um, so if you typically do like a you know 45 minute workout video in the morning, um, have some shorter options for yourself, even if it's just like 15, 20 minutes. Uh, don't just skip it entirely, but have something as a backup for when things don't go perfectly planned. So if you plan for failure, you're actually planning to succeed um, versus just, you know, throwing your hands up and going, oh, well, <laughs> another night. Um, and the other one is don't shoot for the moon. So the saying, you know, shoot for the moon, land amongst the stars. I mean, that really doesn't work with habits. You just kind of fall out of the sky and there's nothing there. So don't try and plan the best, greatest habits for yourself. If you're new to exercising, um, don't make it so that every morning you have to do a 45 minute exercise or then you don't exercise at all. Um, start small. Start with, you know, a 15 minute routine. And if you have the time or the desire, you can continue to work out for more time. Um, and something that I'll even, we'll talk about later in the four weeks is even 15 minutes is considered a large amount of time when you're trying to build a habit. Um, some habits you really just commit to for like a couple minutes. So if you're trying to build a habit of say meditation in the morning, 15 minutes can seem really daunting. But if you say, I'm gonna meditate for two minutes every morning, that's really like, it's two minutes, how could I not do it? If you want to continue doing it after two minutes, there's nothing stopping you. Um, but uh, committing only to two minutes uh, is a great way to start building that habit. And we'll talk so much more about this in the, the four week program, but the hardest part is initiating the habit. It's not uh, extending the duration of the habit. So once you get into the habit of sitting down and meditating for two minutes, it's so much easier to extend that um, than to starting a, the habit from scratch. So we'll talk a lot more about that 
Um, but if you're kind of just working on your own right now and running into problems, those are a couple tips that I can give you is create a plan for failure when things aren't going perfectly and then don't shoot for the moon. Just try and pick something that is uh, very, very feasible for you and you can always take it further once you establish that habit. Um, so like Chris said, we're going to open it up for all your questions about nutrition, um, about the coaching available at Kana, and then also about anything we talked today. I'd love to elaborate on anything if you had any questions um, or about the, uh, the four-week program coming up. It's all up for grabs with questions. Yeah, thank you so much. So definitely post questions to, to the uh, comment section. Um, I will say, you know, when we're talking about habits, um, there's some people of the mindset of, you know, what, well, what can I get done in four weeks? It seems you know, it's so short in, in terms of establishing habits. Um, but I just got an email from uh, not even a Kana member. It was a friend of a, of a Kana member who did one of our four-week challenges. And this was back in 20, uh, 2019. So it was January 2019, two years ago. And she maintained those habits that she began and and took what she learned. Um, and she came in uh, a couple days ago, got on the InBody machine, and was at and actually even better, had better results on the InBody machine uh, in terms of body composition. Um, and she says it's because of the things that she learned, the habits that she instilled. Um, so you can definitely make good change uh, even in a relatively short amount of time but we also do encourage people to, you know, continue working with you, Kathleen, one-on-one -on -one after the group session. Um, and so that's one thing. Um, and the other thing that a lot of you are probably noticing is that, um, you know, this is not a um, kind of old school, like no sugar challenge or where we're deleting whole, you know, entire food groups or, you know, um, um, different things that we know might not be the best for us because for a lot of folks that might actually just stop at the end of the, uh, the four weeks. And then you kind of get, you know, off track or whatever your goals are as it relates. So Kathleen is, you know, definitely going to focus more on the habits based system because if you can establish what it is um, that you're doing day to day, that might actually give you better insight and rather than focusing on macronutrients or, you know, something super specific. Some people might go down that road uh, in terms of working with macronutrients or quality, and that's totally fine. Um, we're not saying that doesn't matter. But um, the last time we did one of these uh, in late fall, early winter, I remember one of the members, I won't say her name just because I didn't ask her permission to talk about it here, but, um, I remember her commenting in our Facebook group. Um, she noticed the cue of after dinner, uh, such and such happened, and therefore she would be eating uh, without even thinking about it. But by being aware of those of of the cue, she was then able to stop it, um, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I remember that. That was an awesome example. And you're right. And um, this isn't like quick build you know all these great habits in four weeks but this is like if you're building a home you want to establish a really strong foundation the foundation of that home are your habits and your routines so this can help you to establish 
that really strong foundation and then whatever you build off on top of that whether you do go down with macros or more personalized nutrition or things like that that's all on top of that but the foundation of your routine and your habits is like the most important aspect of you know not just nutrition but fitness as well and a healthy balanced life kathleen what's your um so here's a question um if someone was trying to change their habits, um, would it be better for them to add in healthy food or should they be deleting things that are in their diet that they know are not the best? Uh, or is there an in-between? Um, what's your take on that? Um, it depends on what those things are. So typically if someone's say consuming a bunch of you know soda or candy bars during the day, we are going to work on, you know, decreasing and adding friction to those habits of consumption. Um, but we're also going to be working on replacing them with something else, with newer, healthier habits. So it is kind of like a yin and yang going on. Um, it's very difficult to remove something from someone's life and not replace it with something else. Um, there's usually like this, you know, hole the emptiness that needs to be filled and substituted. Um, so I think it's most be beneficial to kind of work with them at the same time to replacing them with healthier, healthier alternatives. Cool. Um, another question, how would you balance needing to change your own personal habits with uh, needing to buy food or have food in the house for other people uh, like a partner, spouse, kids, um, et cetera. Okay. So that really goes back to what I was talking about with, uh, your perspective. So you can live in a house with other people. Um, and it's all a matter of your perspective on which foods are going to go in your body. Cause not every food in the home has to go in your body. It's the same thing. If you went to uh, college and you had like a cafeteria or you have a cafeteria at your place of employment um, or whatever it is, we don't, you know, typically view all of those foods as like something that we're going to potentially eat. Um, but for some reason, when we're in the home, it's much harder. So there's a lot of work that goes into changing your perspective over which foods in the home are for to nourish your body. Um, but you can do that and you can happily coexist with people who are uh, choosing to use other foods that uh, aren't so nourishing for their bodies. Um, but there definitely is a mindset change that has to happen. Uh, and that really is the most difficult part, getting your brain to think um, in a different way about the foods that are in the home. Um, but it's definitely feasible and possible and lots of people do it all the time. Um, but it does require a lot of uh, you know, work on how you think about the food that's in your home and how you think about the food that you put in your body. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great point. Just because it's around doesn't necessarily mean it's for you, right? Just like that target analogy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I just posted a link to both the Zoom channel and the Facebook page. Um, Kathleen created a custom, uh, I think it's like 16 recipes. Um, specifically for winter. Um, and so she put that into an ebook and anyone on this call can go ahead and put in your info and it will automatically email you that PDF. Um, so thank you, Kathleen, for that. Another question, um, 
what would be a reasonable expectation in terms of weight loss? Now, obviously that's gonna depend on, on person to person, but what, what would someone you know, need to be thinking about or what should their mindset be in terms of, okay, what's, what's even possible within four weeks, eight weeks, you know, six months, one year, depending on what they have going on? Oh, there's so much that goes into that. So men typically lose weight faster than women. It depends on also like what stage you are in your life. If you're a woman of a certain age, you can have a little bit more difficulty until we get like hormones balanced and things like that. Um, it depends on your exercise level, your stress level. Um, there's so many th different things that go into it. Uh, but for someone where things are kind of aligned really well, they're following a nutrition plan, they're getting their exercise in, I usually say initially at least to shoot for like, um, you know, uh, a pound a week is a very, it's a lofty attainable goal um, for someone who's just starting out and they have the weight to lose and they're putting in the effort for the nutrition and the fitness component. Um, if one of those things is lacking, that's going to be really even hard to, to do um, if you're lacking in the nutrition or you're lacking in the, the fitness. Um, or if you have something else going on in your body, like you're trying to do this by yourself, but you don't really know that you have some type of, um, you know, imbalance or stress that's like making your metabolism slow or something like that. So it's best to work with somebody when you're starting out so you don't get uh, like discouraged if things aren't going well. Um, but I would say like a pound a week, um, if you're doing both of those components is a good place to be. Gotcha. Um, I think we addressed this question the last time we did one of these, but um, it, it does pop up a lot. What are some main, what are some supplements or common supplements that either you would recommend or uh, if you don't recommend supplements from the start, why not? Um, basically, what's your take on supplements? Okay, so my take on supplements is that most people, I would say basically all people need like a multivitamin. Um, not something crazy. I see some people who take like a six a day tablets, like that's just kind of excessive. Um, but something that has uh, a, you know, a good balance of most of the nutrients that you need. I'm not going to say the brand one a day, but a supplement, there's a lot of good supplements that it's only like one tablet a day that you need to take. Um, Cause that's going to kind of prevent any uh, micronutrient deficiencies. You're not going to have to think about, oh, did I get enough, you know, like B12 today or, you know, it's just going to give you that peace of mind. Um, and the reason for that is because even if you do eat a really healthy balanced diet, um, food today just isn't as uh, nourishing as it used to be because with agriculture and um, the soil being depleted of nutrients, like broccoli now doesn't contain the same vitamins and minerals that it contained like 100 years ago or even 50 years ago um, because of farming practices. So we really do kind of all need to take a little something as far as a multivitamin. And then also during the winter time, I recommend that you additionally take a vitamin D supplement as well. Um, the good thing with vitamin D is it is like fat soluble and stored in your body. So you don't even have to take it every single day. You could take it on like 
a Sunday and take, you know, a little bit of a higher dose. Um, but that's something that I also recommend uh, during the winter. And then in addition to that, I mean, it really kind of just depends on the person's individual needs. I don't like to make blanket statements like everybody needs to take a probiotic. Like some people's gut health is really good and they don't need to take a probiotic. Um, if something is working, we don't want to disrupt it. Um, so I don't make normally like blanket statements as far as supplements, but I do with the multivitamin and especially uh, with winter time and risk of illness, I recommend the vitamin D right now. Um, is What was the other question? Why would you maybe not take vitamins? Uh, I don't really see, maybe if you were taking um, foods that were really high in vitamin D or lots of fortified foods, um, you may not need to take a vitamin D supplement. Or if you've had blood work done, it showed that your vitamin D was awesome. Um, but other than that, I would definitely recommend those for everybody. Yeah, I've been reading, people I follow um, talk about this, but I've been reading and listening to the fact that our soil is, is, is in big trouble, uh, you know, with a lot of the way that uh, modern farming happens um, with a lot of monocrops and um, it's, it's just not sustainable. So there's some statistics out there, some, some guesstimates that we have you know, about 60 years worth of good soil. And then, you know, we have to figure something out in between now and then, because if we continue down the path we're going, it, you know, the nutrients are going to basically get sucked up out and, and not be replaced. So um, that's definitely something that's, that's on uh, at least yeah. the radar of some people. Um, traditional farming methods, because basically each crop that you have absorbs different nutrients from the soil and some release nutrients into the soil. And it's like this great symbiotic relationship. But what used to happen is, you know, you would grow a crop during whatever season it was, and then they would kind of, you know, till the soil and give it time to recover with, you know, mm. new things, minerals coming down from like, you know, rain and water and all of that. And then you would plant a different crop. And there's actually certain crops that you don't even harvest for food that are just there to nourish the soil. And it was like this rotation that was done. Um, but as food consumption, like the population increase and food consumption increase and things were streamlined, it was basically just like the same crop planted over and over and over again, just reharvesting. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how we've lost a lot of the vitamins and minerals into the, in the soil. So yes, it's unfortunate that we have to take multivitamins and that this problem is gonna get worse in the future, but the best thing you can do for yourself is to just, you know, take the multi multivitamin. It's super important for your metabolism. Um, I've seen people who, you know, been eating right and they're exercising, but they're not taking multivitamin. And then all of a sudden things kind of start clicking and working better. So it just, it can help rule out deficiency and I definitely recommend it. Cool. Uh, last question, unless uh, other people jump in with a question. Um, what are some other things other than food and hydration um, that could affect body weight, uh, fat mass? You know, when people say they want to lose weight, typically they're talking about um, body fat. And so what are some other things that maybe we'll address in this four week kickstart coming up um, that would matter, that would affect. Yeah. Um, so you know, body I think composition. For, 
most of us we think of like sleep we most of us don't get enough sleep or enough high quality sleep um, so that's something that we'll definitely discuss uh, sleep is a super important part of your metabolism and also affects uh, your stress hormones and how your body responds to and metabolizes stress which is basically the other component of that so maybe you do get good sleep but for other reasons um, you're you don't handle stress well or you just have an exorbitant amount of stress so that really um, hampers your metabolism and puts a big burden on the body um, and interestingly enough so we do really well with acute stress so something happens um, and we respond to it and then we have a recovery time and things kind of get back to normal for us and our body resets. But when you have chronic stress, like we've all had with COVID the past year almost, um, there's no recovery time. We're living in this space of chronic stress all the time. And then on top of that, we still have all the acute stressors that occur with family, with sickness, with job loss, with everything else. Um, so there's really no time for the body to uh, recover from that. So that's when we start to see like more long-term uh, issues with people's metabolism changing and things like that. So it is really important to, you know, recognize how stressed you are, which is so difficult right now. You could be like, oh yeah, I'm really not stressed, but you're super stressed. You're just used to it. Your baseline has been this for so long that you don't recognize. Um, so understanding how that stress impacts your body and the ways that you can support the body through um, lifestyle with sleep, through hydration, through exercise, um, maybe additional measures such as like meditation. Um, those are all ways that you can help the body uh, recover from stress or be resilient to stress. Um, and those are probably the the two biggest ways I think that um, outside of direct nutrition that impact your health the most. I've always said that someone could have a great diet and exercise, but if they don't manage their stress well, their uh, digestion is going to be terrible. They're going to get sick all the time. They are more set up for chronic diseases like cancer and things like that. Um, so managing your stress is equally as important, if not more important than, you know, everything else. Yeah, there's there's so much coming out about that blood brain barrier and and the and how the gut affects the brain and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, there's a reason why when people get nervous, there's, they call it butterflies in the stomach, right? Like, it's your brain talking to you, but it's you, you're feeling it uh, in a somatic way, right, through your through your belly. So, um, you know, and that when you talk about that, it, it you know makes me think of you know I know people can theoretically go get things like their cortisol checked. Um, of course, you know, the, the gold standard one, I think, would be to go for the multiple checkpoints throughout the day because, you know, ideally cortisol is high in the morning and then it kind of recedes as you go on with your day. Of course, that, you know, eats up a whole day uh, of getting multiple tests. So are there, are there blood tests or are there, you know, um, things that you would recommend uh, kind of your average person? I mean, obviously, if someone has some acute, you know, sickness, they're going to be tested for that particular thing. But are there any markers that, that you like to see uh, as a nutritionist um, in terms of blood lipid panel, um, cortisol, possibly vitamin D levels? Like what, what would you be looking for? Um, 
A lot of the people who I have come into my private practice come from a physician recommendation. So they come with like full blood work that I will review. Um, most of the time, surprisingly, people are in the, maybe not the ideal range, but they're in the reference range. Um, as far as like cortisol, I've never actually recommended somebody to go get it tested. For me, it kind of would just like confirm a, a suspicion or a very strong suspicion. If someone reports feeling stressed or they're telling you about their life and you're hearing all of these big stressors and then they're physically exhibiting signs of stress, like being unable to manage their weight or their digestion's really poor or they're reporting being awake at night. Um, I mean, those are all big signs to me. I don't need a lab to tell me, yes, they have high cortisol. Like I, you know, you, some things are just very evident. Um, so when I see different things like that, we definitely do work on, you know, stress is the first thing that we tackle and sleep. Um, and even now I would say most people don't realize too that when you are dealing with uh, chronic stress, you do need more sleep. So perhaps, you know, previous to this past year plus, um, you were good with seven hours of sleep a night and felt fantastic. Well, after all of this time, you may find that you need more sleep. Um, so don't fight it, you know, give that to yourself because your body is telling you that that's what it needs. Um, also with like the vitamin D levels and stuff like that, if someone wants to have their vitamin D tested now, they would probably be on the lower range, if not deficient. Um, because just with where we are, um, uh, our, you know, where we are on planet earth we can't get the angle of the sun that we need so even if it was warm enough out or you did go out and you had your face uncovered and your you know hands or whatever and you tried to get enough sunlight to convert vitamin d even if it was a sunny day we can't at this time of year between like um all of end of october early november through the springtime it's just not possible for where we live um, so that's another thing too, whereas if someone's coming in and they have, um, symptoms of vitamin D deficiency, I'm not necessarily going to go, oh, you need to have that tested. Like all the signs are there. I know. So I will recommend vitamin D supplementation, but, um, for someone who maybe isn't exhibiting signs of deficiency, I would just say to take right now, you know, vitamin D, not to an excessive amount, you can follow the, you know, standard amount per day. Um, just because there has been a lot of clinical studies shown that it does uh, help prevent more serious illnesses that are going around without naming names. Um, it just helps boost your immune system in general. It actually is important for like metabolism stress as well. So, um, different things can be worthwhile getting tested with the help of a physician if you're trying to get a clinical diagnosis. Um, but some things you don't need a clinical diagnosis for, and we can kind of just work on um, fixing those things without going through those, uh, those channels. Yeah, I don't need a, uh, a diagnosis or a randomized control trial to know that if I hit my thumb with a hammer that it hurts, right? So. Exactly. Um, yes. uh, question from Stephanie. So what do you think of using as a food program to lose weight? Let's say you gained over quarantine, um, super common, um, that you know won't be, that you knowingly won't be permanent, but it 
could be a way to basically lose weight. And her example is like keto or strict paleo. So going with a more traditional, like maybe 30 day strict paleo, um, 30 day keto or some sort of, you know, limited focused plan. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I have a couple thoughts on it. First, if it is limited, I would say go for it under certain conditions. Um, the, the problems arise when it's not limited and people stay on these, you know, a keto plan for an extended period of time. Um, it changes your gut so much, your microbiome. It just basically changes so much of how your body functions. Um, and then these same people typically usually will have like cheat days and they'll eat, you know, go out and have pizza and donuts and all this stuff. And studies have shown that that causes a huge amount of inflammation in the body when that occurs because you're so used to not um, metabolizing those foods that it's like quite shocking and stressful for the body. So I think being on those uh, diets long-term isn't beneficial, but I think for a short planned period um, to help kickstart weight loss or something like that, it can be really beneficial. Um, I also recommend before you start anything like that, have an exit plan. You have to have an off-ramp from one of these programs. You have to know exactly how you're gonna reintroduce foods. And that's what a lot of people struggle with. They just go into it and then when they come out of it, they go right back to how they were eating and they regain all the weight and they're back where they were or they even gain sometimes more weight and they're worse off than they were before. So before you start a plan, you have to have an off-ramp with a plan you know, to reintroduce things. Um, that's why it's really beneficial to do these either as in part of a group or with the nutrition coach. Um, cause if you're doing it on your own, it can be a lot of planning to how to exit and what should your life look like after you make that exit. Um, but those are just my, my thoughts on those types of, uh, jump starts for weight loss. Yeah. I love that. I love the take on it because I mean, the fact is these things can work. We saw a lot of really good success when we were doing things like no sugar challenges, paleo challenges, but the problem was the majority of people just went back to old habits mm -hmm. afterwards. And so, you know, it definitely can work, but I love number one, your take on the exit plan, because I think a lot of people don't even know or, or foresee the way from going so extreme on one end to just trying to live their life and having a step-by-step -step way to integrate good things that they learned, um, but also go back to a, I mean, look, you know, while, you know, right now people may be trying to live in a bubble, the fact is we, we don't normally. And so you're gonna be good at getting back to some social life and, and being in situations where you don't have total control. So you have to be able to adapt and adjust to that, right? Um, and I, and also, you know, when people say they do keto, they you dig a little deeper and it's like they're having keto snacks and keto bars and keto this and keto and paleo desserts and paleo this. And it's like, you're, you're missing the entire spirit of, of what you're trying to do here. Like just trying to abide by the label itself doesn't necessarily mean you're actually doing the thing. Um, exactly. As it was I'm so happy you brought that up because yes, yeah, someone can be keto and subsist on just 
packaged, you know, fat bombs and all this stuff, which are processed oils and uh, no calorie sweeteners and all of these different things. Um, but yeah, you can do more harm than good at sometimes. And another thing I like to mention too, and this is why it's so good to work with somebody who does this um, for a living, is that say you do do a no sugar challenge and you cut out sugar for a good amount of time. It's going to change your gut bacteria that thrive on eating sugar. And what's going to happen is you're going to be left with uh, whatever kind of survived not having the sugar, whatever is, you know, the strongest and the most abundant. And then if you go back to how you were eating and just start eating tons of sugar again, you're going to have this, you know, kind of uh huge growth of these bacteria and it's going to be different than it, how it was before. Um, and those have, you know, real world effects. It can change, you know, your bowel function. It can change your mood. It can change your digestion. It can change your metabolism. So like, it may seem fun to just do no sugar challenge, but if you don't have that off ramp, that plan to reintroduce these things, you know, then you end up going to a doctor cause you're like, I don't know what's going on. I'm having all these issues. Um, so I think it is super important to go in uh, with the mindset of like, how do I get out? And also think that whatever you're doing before is what got you to this point in the first place. Why would you want to go back to that? So you need to have some sort of, you know, sustainable long-term change or else you're going to keep just doing a no sugar challenge a few times a year and then keep going back to all the sugar. Um, cool. So it looks like that's about it for questions. Um, so I don't want to keep people longer. Um, we will be coming out with more information about the four week kickstart. The idea of it is we do a group kind of rah, rah, rah. Let's get, let's get going on these good habits. Let's, let's use the power of community to basically start building these. But the, you know, the idea is that, all right, if you want to keep making good changes and have accountability, that you continue working with Kathleen one-on-one. -on -one. We saw some people from the last uh, challenge that, or reset that we did continue with you. There's other people working with you one-on-one. -on -one, so that is the idea. Um, no requirement to do that, but to, to find the most success, that's, that's usually what we see uh, needing to happen. Um, so what, what will end up happening is that we will do in-body scans at the beginning and end of this, of the four weeks. Um, it's gonna start on January 25th. And basically each week uh, there will be a focus coming out from Kathleen um, and she'll be guiding you through um, things to be thinking about, things to be possibly changing. Um, there, you know, most likely will be a good spectrum of people in there with different experiences. And so she's going to, you know, tailor it as much as she can. Um, but knowing that it is a group um, activity, you know, it's not going to be quite as detailed as what we have for our one-on-one -on -one clients. Um, but it's still going to be a lot of good information um, and you're going to get a lot out of it. So pricing wise for non-Kana members, it's going to be about $150. Um, and then there will be a discount for Kana members. So uh, we'll email all of this out, but I wanted to talk about that because some people are probably wondering what logistics look like. It's going to start on the 25th. It's going to go for four weeks. So it's a Monday start. People like starting on Mondays uh, and then it will end on a Sunday in February. Um, but be on the lookout for more information, um, uh, link to sign up and, and all that. Download the ebook that we uh, had linked in the comment section and in the Zoom chat. Um, and then by doing that, we'll also have your email so we can get in touch with you about um, the Kickstart.
All right. Awesome. Um, I'm glad you mentioned ebook too, because that's a really good example of um, what some of the stuff that I use for the one-on-one -on -one with clients. So if you were working one-on-one, -on -one, um, you get personalized meals like recipes geared towards you chosen with you for you um this is just you know generalized but if you do like it you would like really love what you get uh working one-on-one -on -one. um so yeah this is a great like general you can choose from it what works great for you but when it is one-on-one -on -one, everything's chosen and geared directly towards you so it's much um you gain a lot a lot more that way but this is a really great starting point cool all right, everybody, if you have more questions, just either email us or even post them in the comments because we will be monitoring at least on Facebook. Um, thank you, Kathleen, uh, for taking the time to present about habits and answer questions. Um, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Awesome. Bye. Please listen carefully.